Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, here we go. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. You want to be part of the show, that's the best way for you to do it. And uh, don't forget, Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says, so here's the real deal. No bull in this one. The best plan for one or two lines. $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. Again, no bull. Ceasefire.com. That's where you can find it. Brian Haydad took the day off yesterday. He rejoins the show today. Michael Borky in his chair, as he almost always is. Live stream doing a little craziness. What's up, boys? Yeah, it's it's doing something. I don't know what, but something it is doing. Everything looks as it should right now. Okay, we're, we're all, so, so we're, we're going to keep it that way. Um, we're all good. Hey, Dad, what oh, did you do are. fun on your day off yesterday? I watched soccer. Called it. You nailed Told it, you boy. That's what he was doing. Well, I actually had somebody who wanted to watch soccer with me, so I was like, yeah, let's do that. Okay. So your wife? Pizza? No, no, just a friend of mine who's uh, his team was playing Chelsea, so we had a little just watch the game together. Wait, so Sevilla actually has like fans of its own? I mean, I guess you know, yeah. Okay, they're a team. Yeah, they are. A are few you thousand that miles I knew that away? Sevilla is who Chelsea played yesterday. Uh, I think you know. I'm not that impressed with. That. I figure you looked it up to find out why I was off. I only did when we, uh, Borky and I were talking, um, I just made the assumption that you decided you needed a day off to sit at home and play video games all day, and Borky said, ah, I bet he's watching soccer. Isn't there a yep. soccer match that's on? And I think my words Champions were... Champions League match day one. Yeah, I, I think my words or response was, isn't there a soccer match of some sort on 365 days a year? Almost, yeah. I mean, somewhere, somewhere on the globe, they're playing soccer uh, that you can watch just about every day of the year. So did Chelsea win? Uh, scoreless draw. So Oh, it was one of those <laughs> great ones. Yeah. I bet Amen. that was riveting. Well, I looked at it like this. They've been so bad defensively. I mean, if Ole Miss lost the game 10-7, to wouldn't you come out of that with some positives? Be like, ah, they played good Very defense few. today. That'd be so boring. Yeah. But but you'd be, you'd be pleased they played good defense. That's what I was. I was pleased they played good defense. I mean, I'd really be trying to fill my glass half full if there was a ten to seven game at this point. Yeah, they have. Oh me! So you weren't here yesterday to talk uh, about the news of uh, Garrett Schrader opting. Well, not opting out. That's not uh, not the no. right word. Although I guess technically he's opting out. Is he going to remain with the team while in the transfer portal? 
I don't believe so. I believe his time at Mississippi State is over. Okay. Where do you think he's going to go? I think he'll have a, a Power 5 opportunity. Um, the first, obviously, Oregon is going to pop into people's heads with Joe Moorhead being out there. Um, people are Some people mentioned Florida. You know, I think obviously he fits the bill of a, of a Mullen quarterback. I don't know if that'll be the guy he wants to do go or not. I think Arkansas would be an interesting landing spot for him. Uh, they run a you know similar offense, and he fits that uh, what I what I what appears to me with Sam Pittman to be that blue collar tough guy mentality. Garrett Trader would fit right in with that. Beyond that, I don't really know. Those are just you know three names you could throw out there, but I imagine he'll have a, a, quite a few suitors. That Arkansas thing is interesting. I, I get what you're saying on the kind of tough guy, blue collar, you know, go to work, work hard, be tough yeah. thing. But Kendall Bryles is calling plays there. And yeah. they're, I think once they get the personnel in, they're, they're going to be reminiscent of what Baylor looked like. And, and, and the misconception from Baylor when Art Bryles was there and Kendall Bryles was on the staff and whatnot, the misconception is all they did was throw the ball. They actually ran the ball a lot, but yeah. they also had wildly accurate quarterbacks in those offenses. They did. But at the same time, with, with, with Schrader, I mean, I, I, I've never seen him try to be in a pass-first offense, but he completed 58% of his passes in a offense that is not very quarterback-friendly as a true freshman. So, I mean, I, I don't know that he's, he's just wholly inaccurate. So I wouldn't mind seeing him in that kind of offense. We'll see. Hmm. You want to be a part of the conversation? As I mentioned a second ago, you can do so on the C Spire text line. World Series got started last night. Game number one goes the way of Dodger Blue. Dodgers get the uh, the win in game one. They will try to go up two games to none in the series. I said yesterday, hey, Dad, if uh, you were there, if you had been here, you would not have agreed with the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. I said not only was uh, Kershaw going to pitch, he was going to pitch quite well and really did that. Six innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts. He looked like regular season Kershaw as opposed to playoff Kershaw. Tampa Bay is going to let America down. You can already tell. It's not going to happen. Glasnow got the uh, start, and people love this guy, and maybe he's going to be good in the long run. But he hasn't been as great as people want to sell you on in the postseason. Four and a third, six earned runs, eight strikeouts, six walks. Mookie Betts was good again for the Dodgers. Was uh, two for four, drove in a run, and the guy can fly. Is he the second best player in Major League Baseball? Make a very strong argument for that. I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't argue against you. I've seen people suggest that he should be talked about as the best. And, well, and it's an I, interesting conversation. I was going to ask you that, Borky. I, I was going to ask, after maybe a, yeah, we're on board with the second best player, I was going to turn around and ask you exactly that question. Is he the best player in baseball? How much stock do you put in to their team winning? Because baseball is different, right? That's what people were talking about last night. I find it a fascinating conversation. As to how much stock should you put into the fact that Mike Trout's teams are bad. Always. They're bad. And Mookie Betts' teams obviously are not. But baseball is a very different sport. And you can go four for four with four doubles and your team not score a run. So it's not like basketball, for example, where you can be a really good player on a bad team and win a championship. Ask LeBron James. 
in Cleveland. I mean, yeah, he had Kyrie, but Matt Dellavedova got big minutes. So it, it was a bad team, but he won a championship. You can't really do that in baseball, though, right? So how much stock should we put into Mookie Betts' teams being good in the conversation of should he be ahead of Mike Trout in the conversation? I mean, I just feel like a, a baseball position player might have like the least control over whether his team wins or loses of anybody in sports. So just, there's only so much he can do, and if, if ownership doesn't put players around him, you can always pitch around a guy like that. So, yeah, I just I don't I don't put a lot of blame on Mike Trout. Not that this is the end all be all, but this year's numbers and this was a weird season. I mean, this might be the worst time to make a comparison. So, 27-year-old Mookie Betts this year, in 55 games, hit 292 with a 366 on base, a 562 slugging percentage, OPS was 927. A lot of people don't care about any of that. 16 home runs, 39 runs batted in. I don't have war up in front of me. Yes, I do. Let's see here. And his war this year, wins against replacement, 3.4. For his career, 45.2. So that's really, really good numbers. Really good numbers. This year, Mike Trout, in 53 games, hit 17 home runs, so one more. Drove in 46, so more home runs, more runs driven in. 281 batting average, so that was down a little bit. OPS was almost identical. War this year for Mike Trout was 1.6, which was the lowest of his career since his rookie season. He's one year older than Mookie Betts at 28 instead of 27 for his career wins against replacement, which is if you're not a sabermetrician or you're not an analytics person in baseball, maybe you don't really gravitate to that stat, but it's basically measuring you against an average replacement player. So the average player... That if you just plugged in Joe Schmo, that was average at the position you play, average at the plate, what are you worth over him, Mike Trout? 74.4 over the course of his career. That is insane and off the charts. But numbers can't do it all. So, um, Borky, that goes back to the original question you asked. How much does winning matter in baseball? I mean, Derek Jeter wasn't the best player for the Yankees, but he drove that team to win. But if you were going to use that example, there were tons of pieces around him. You know, a couple of different iterations early in his career and his later later in his career, but he was surrounded by great players, great pitchers, the greatest relief pitcher of all time. You know, bombers up and down the lineup. The interesting thing about that, though, is at least for the Angels, they've spent a ton of money. It's just been with a terrible front office. They've made bad decisions and not gotten great return on their investments. Several different things happening on the ceasefire text line. This is an interesting message we get. Baseball is a lot about momentum, robbing home runs, diving catches, stealing bases, hustling, hitting for power, situational, working a full count, getting pitchers, pitch counts up quickly, the immeasurables he has. Mookie does it all 
without the statistics. He has the it factor. Trout doesn't have. And he's the only African-American player in the World Series. He can grow the game more. Plus, Game 7 of NLCS and ALCS each had higher ratings than the NBA Finals. There's a lot going on. Is that real? It, he's the only African-American player in the World Series? I would have to think about the roster. an unbelievable a fact, if true. Goodness. I mean, there's a lot of Hispanic presence on the Astros roster. Yeah. Well, and... On the Dodgers roster as well. Let's dig a little bit more on that, but you know, at least on the surface, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Betts is um and he's he, he does everything. You you look at him for okay, okay, j- just for a second. I didn't intend for us to go down the Mookie Betts versus Mike Trout road today, but we're here. So if you look at Mike Trout. He's a physical specimen. Big, thick. I mean, looks like he can hit bombs. If you look at Mookie Betts, he doesn't look like that. (laughs) You know, a little wiry. And then he starts playing, and you see how fast his hands are, how quick his hands are, the power that comes out of that bat. I mean, you look at Mike Trout, and you're like, yeah, that guy's going to hit bombs. Look at Mookie Betts, and you're like, I bet that guy can fly. He can, but he can also hit bombs, and he can hit him in the gap. And last night changes the game with a couple of steals, manufactures a run. Hey, remember when we used to do that in baseball? Manufacture runs? That's just the offensive side. So he can hit for average. He can hit for power. He's a plus runner. And no, that's not right. Not, he's like a plus-plus runner. He can fly. And he has got a cannon. Probably one of the top five arms in the outfield in Major League Baseball. Certainly top ten. And I'm not just going to like start rattling off names. Or, oh, this guy or this guy. I mean, there are a bunch of guys who get big arms. This guy can do everything. He's playing on a big market team. He's going from big market to big market, going from Boston to L.A. Reasonable question to ask, what the heck were the Red Sox doing, letting Mookie Betts get away? They got a lot of flexibility now, though. A lot of flexibility. Yeah. How flexible were they in the the, uh, cellar of the American League East? Not great. Plenty of room to really stretch out and be flexible down there. Don't enjoy it too much there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just got lost there for a second. Matt and Tupelo. Moopke looks like he works for a delivery company. I edited that. I don't know why I did that. Mookie looks like he works for UPS driving the brown package cars. Kind of does. Just, just looks like a dude. And then he hits. And then he throws. And then he runs. And you're like, holy cow, this guy can go. Somebody said, just think if Barry Bonds played today. You very rarely see intentional walks. Bonds might hit 80 home runs. Somebody also pointed out that um, they pitched around Barry Bonds. San Francisco never won at all with him. It's true. 
Got there once, and that was it. Somebody says, for Trout to be so great, he is prone to strikeout. Jason in Flagstaff wants to know if there are more African-Americans in NASCAR than there are in the major, in Major League Baseball. I mean, overall, the answer to that is no. But it is, uh, it's a troublingly small number in Major League Baseball. If you're thinking about like continued growth and long-term health of the game and the best of the best playing it. All right, switching gears. Going back just to uh, for a second to the Garrett Schrader conversation. Jason wants to know, what do you think about Schrader at Auburn with Gus Malzahn calling the plays? He thinks that's a scary proposition. I mean, it'd be a good fit. Schrader would fit what that offense wants to do. I don't know about scary, but it would be a good fit. Borky, did you watch much World Series last night? Yeah, I did. I was doing other things while it was on in the background, especially after it got, um, not out of hand, but the game was decided. But yeah, I did, actually. I was kind of disappointed that the the David in the story got smoked last night, but I had it on. Felt like a home game for the Dodgers, too. Yeah, which is not surprising. I mean, Tampa Bay draws nobody at home. It's not like their fans were just going to flock to Arlington, whereas... Los Angeles Dodgers, massive fan base all over the place. Probably have some folks that traveled as well. And uh, what was it, 11,000, 11, 12,000 is what they let in last night? I think that was the number. I got a really rude awakening last night when I flipped the television on to watch the uh, watch the World Series. I've gone back to um, satellite again, gone to DISH after not having it for a couple of years, primarily because inexplicably I can't get good, fast internet at my house in the middle of downtown Oxford. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how that is a possibility in 2020, but it is. And so I flipped to Channel 13, which is Fox. They got one of those dispute things going. How does that happen it's one of the over-air channels, and there's like uh, some, you know, president of Dish telling me why Apollo Communications is the worst thing in the world, and so can't watch the World Series. Having to follow it, phone and stream it, and whatever else. It's a little disappointing. All right, um, Mike Leach met with the media last night. Hey, Dad, he was asked about Garrett Schrader. He was also asked about Kylan Hill. Did we learn anything? No. We learned absolutely nothing. <laughs> Definitively, uh, no. Yeah, with Schrader. I mean, we know Schrader's out. Uh, you guys went we, fishing on Schrader a couple of times trying to get him to say a little bit more, a little bit more, and he yeah, was like, eh, he's having, we wish he's him well. None of that. Yeah, he wished him well. And that's, that's probably going to be all you'll get from that. Uh, and then with Kylan Hill, still unavailable, going through a family personal issue, and uh, don't know what his availability is. At this time, yeah, I know. I know that he's not practicing with the team, so it's not even you know. It's not just he's missing games; he's not with the team at this time. So feels like we're revisiting the conversation from Monday, but it kind of feels like this is over with Kyle Neal. Well, I feel like I don't think he's going to play against Alabama. I'll say that. 
And then after that, I feel like we'll get some clarity one way or the other. So we might have another, you know, what it was today, Wednesday. It's like another 10, 12 days, and then we'll, we'll, we'll know for sure which way that train's going. With regard to Kylan Hill, Leach said, quote, there's no update. He's still unavailable dealing with personal issues. So, yeah. That was the quote. It was like he was trying to decide if he wanted to say anything else at the end of yeah. that, and he just went, so, yeah. yeah, And then stopped talking. If, if it is indeed a family-slash-personal issue, you, you as the coach, you probably don't want to delve uh, too far into that. So, I kind of chuckled when I was watching this last night. Uh, Mike Leach, you know, was there was there any message you wanted to give to uh, Garrett Schrader on his way out the door? No, not really. Yeah, he's like, That's I think Garrett wants to play quarterback. We uh, yeah. we wish him the best. He was a good teammate. We enjoyed having him. Yeah, it's one of those questions that you have to ask, but know what you know going in, you're not getting anything out of that. Yeah. Said we felt he'd make a great tight end. Which is interesting because tight ends don't really play a role in Mike Leach's offense. Yeah. Um, said still think that, but he's got other interests. So like, I, I mean, you can't blame Garrett Schrader if you want to play quarterback. Go find a place where you can play quarterback because you're not playing quarterback Absolutely. for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Absolutely. Just move on. It's best for all parties at that point. Is there an expectation that he will be eligible immediately, or is well, that I mean, going to be talk- in place in time? I would think even if, even if it's not state, state's not going to you know push against it. I would think, unless he decides to go to Ole Miss, I guess. I don't see that happening though. Um, and then, no. uh, yeah, I, I think he'll, he'll probably get immediate eligibility. Almost everybody is these well, days. Mississippi State doesn't have to push back to stop players from going to Ole Miss. So, <laughs> you're saying there are other people that'll do that? Yeah, for there them? are other people that'll do it for him. <sighs> Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. I know the NCAA is not the most favorite topic of conversation because sometimes it feels like we're just beating our heads against the wall. You know, regardless of which school you're talking about, you know, whether it's Mississippi State or it's Ole Miss or it's LSU or it's Auburn or Kansas or whomever, because we talk about it and nothing changes. But there are two stories involving the NCAA that are, at least on the surface, kind of a big deal. And they both, at least partially, involve the SEC. One of them is written by Pat Forty. Certainly not my favorite writer for a lot of reasons. But this is a fascinating story. I want to read you the first couple of paragraphs. I, I'm not going to read the entire story. Obviously, that'd be terrible radio if I read the entire story to you. Well, what a bad freeze frame. Did it freeze on your end, Borky? No, it didn't. But one time, uh, the the day you had to, to step out of the show early, it froze. You doing this right here? And we just kept it up on the screen for the rest of the stream. Give it a big old thumbs up right in the middle of the screen. And by did. the way, you're... Your screen froze before it could do that again. I think there must be an issue on my end. Got to be, because anyway. it's looking good from our computers in. So, yeah, hey, I got you. Yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, thanks for uh, watching. If you're watching at Super Talk TV, we are glad to uh, glad to have you along. But no, it froze, it froze a second ago. It was the uh, the Eli Manning staring off into the great nothing face. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad I missed that. All right, so here you go. Coaches were wiretapped, players and agents ensnared, and yet only one school to date has been punished by the NCAA. In the meantime, some insiders say things are getting worse, not better. In May 2019, NCAA Vice President of Enforcement John Duncan walked into a ballroom at the Sandestin Hilton in Destin, Florida. Facing an audience of Southeastern Conference administrators and coaches at the league's annual spring meetings, Duncan repeated the mantra of the NCAA, our mission is to protect compliant schools. Big words. You can put that on a business card. At that point, it had been 20 months since federal investigators filed indictments against several college basketball coaches and insiders for their roles in a bribery scheme that exposed the sport's corrupt underground economy. At least a dozen Division I programs were implicated in the scandal, including four SEC programs, Auburn, LSU, Alabama, and South Carolina. But on that spring day in 2019, when Duncan spoke to leaders of that conference, not much had happened yet from an NCAA investigative perspective. And since that day... Another 16 and a half months have passed without any tangible impact. We've been talking about Will Wade for three years. Three years. Nothing. Auburn had an assistant coach go to jail. Nothing. Louisville's gotten punished. Aside from that, not much. Supposedly LSU's in the crosshairs. Supposedly Kansas is in the crosshairs. Supposedly Arizona and Sean Miller are in the crosshairs. All those schools have stuck their middle finger all by itself squarely into the air directly toward Indianapolis and said, come get us. And maybe the NCAA will. Maybe. They haven't yet. Listen to a couple of quotes in this story. South Carolina's Frank Martin. And by the way, you can hear these quotes from coaches and you go, whatever, it's disingenuous, everybody cheats. I think we all know everybody lives in the gray area. Everybody technically cheats. But the analogy is some folks drive 77, 78, and a 70 on the interstate, which technically is speeding. But it's also just kind of keeping up with the flow of traffic. And then there are folks that go 90 on the interstate. And you wonder, that's that's dangerous. Surely they're going to get caught at some point. And then you got the occasional guy that wants to drop 120 on the interstate. Here's what South Carolina coach Frank Martin said. I know what's going on. I know who's doing it. If I was a prosecutor, I'd go after people, but I'm not. I'm a coach. So I stay away from certain situations when I know what's going on. 
Not going to recruit against them. But if nothing is done, the message is cheating is okay. You can do what you want and nothing happens. There's cheaters in every profession they've got to be dealt with. This FBI investigation was like an IRS audit. Our business was audited, and when someone is audited or something is audited, you find the problems and fix the problems. Our business has yet to fix the problems. It's time to fish or cut bait. If you are a college basketball coach in the SEC or otherwise, that's going 77 to 79 on the interstate, generally speaking, playing by the rules, and you are constantly getting passed by cars that are going 90, and you just keep on driving, and you go another 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 miles, constantly getting passed, and at no point do you see a car on the shoulder with blue lights behind it and an officer leaning in to get somebody's license, at some point you go, well, maybe I need to be going 92. If somebody passes me on the highway going faster than me, I... You start tailgating them. Yeah, with an appropriate distance to where if an officer sees them, there's a gap where I can slow down before I pass him too so he doesn't get lazy and pull me over instead of him. It's strategic, but if somebody passes me flying, I speed up and follow them. Yeah. What do you make of what Frank Martin said? This story, it's been going on three years. If you believe him, and I think I do, that in South, it's not like South Carolina is getting steered the best players in the country. You know, they're not a basketball factory. The state's not a basketball factory. So, I do believe that their program is not doing what Duke does. <laughs> I mean, um, one of the dirty programs <laughs> in college basketball, definitely not Duke, um, to get players. And if I were him, I'd be incredibly frustrated, honestly. Because th- if you think the football playing field is unlevel, college basketball is a different animal. And you would think that an FBI investigation, all this stuff, would slow things down and allow you to level that playing field and be competitive. And to to hear that it's getting worse, if not better, if I were him, I'd be frustrated. Because if if coaches getting arrested is not going to help me elevate my program and get better players, then then what am I doing here? So I kind of feel his pain here. What do you make of it, hey, Dad? I mean, it's 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 the same old, same old from from the NCAA and and all this stuff. I I just. I feel like we re- it's just rehashing the same story a lot of times with just different names. You know, we just okay, today we're talking about this guy who was cheating and this guy is upset about it. you know. I I I have trouble getting too worked up about it either way, to be totally honest with you. It's because it it's just, you know, it's like the sun rising and setting, man. It's just it's just part of it at this point to me. I, I've made this point in the past. If you're old Mr. Mississippi State though, shouldn't you be frustrated? Because both, through the years, have managed to avoid the leniency of the NCAA that so many others seem to be able to find. I mean, it's like Ole Miss and Mississippi State have gotten a bunch of tickets for going 77 and a 70. That's a good question, especially because of what we've also learned today about LSU. 
So they are. LSU right now is being investigated. On two fronts. On two fronts, one of which being football. And one of the allegations that they're going to be faced with is the fact that was proven in court that a booster of LSU paid a player's family $180,000 for a job that didn't exist. That man is sitting in prison for doing that because he used a hospital charity to funnel the money to this player. If they you can't do, say that out loud without it sounding like a joke. It's not a joke. And he's sitting in prison. And so, and when you look at it in the Mississippi perspective, to your point, Ole Miss received two bull bands. And how much cash did the NCAA say players got? What was the number? Far, far less than 180000 I can tell you that. Tunsil was stepped it like the total monetary value was like eight grand or something, something like that? Something like that. So if they don't get a bigger penalty than that, then what other example do you need of an unlevel playing field? Here's the interesting thing today. LSU is self-imposing some football penalties. We'll, we'll get to what they're self-imposing, and then we will ponder whether or not that's going to be good enough for the NCAA. So you got the big story about basketball at Sports Illustrated from Pat Forty. You've also got this story from Ross Dellinger, specifically about LSU at Sports Illustrated. I think Pat Forty's got a byline on that as well. Ross writes, LSU is self-imposing penalties for rules violations and hoping the NCAA doesn't level more. The, 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 let's see, the school is docking itself eight football scholarships over a two-year period and reducing recruiting visits, evaluations, and communication after a nearly two-year investigation uncovered booster payments to the father of a football player. School is banning from its facilities for two years ex-LSU receiver and current NFL star Odell Beckham Jr., who distributed $2,000 worth of $100 bills during a wild scene on the field following LSU's win in the national championship game last year over Clemson. But wait, that was fake money. Turns out it wasn't. What? No. I love how kidding me. I love how people in our industry took that explanation, ran it, and didn't even think twice about it. Just completely. Oh, guys, it's cool. It's cool. Odell Beckham Jr., the multi-million dollar NFL wide receiver, carries around wads of fake money. Of that monopoly makes sense. Money. Let's write that and publish it in our newspapers that nobody reads. Just mind-blowing. Statement from LSU. LSU has worked proactively and in cooperation with the NCAA to identify and self-report any violations that occurred within our football program. We believe these self-imposed penalties are appropriate, and we will continue to coordinate and cooperate with the NCAA on this matter. Here's the interesting thing. Minus four scholarships for each of the next two years. Guess how many that's going to reduce LSU's ability to sign a full class by each of the next two years? Probably not by Zero. much with all the early, about the, all the early uh, NFL entries they have. The penalties will not impact the team's ability to sign the maximum 25 newcomers a year. That minus four, minus four is going to be subtracted from the 85 scholarship limit, not the ability to sign new players. 
But just carry on, LSU. You can process a few guys, make a little bit of room for the penalties, and continue to stack four and five stars on top of four and five stars. All the recruiting reductions and official visit visits and whatever. I mean, that's just whatever. So Ross writes, question lingers, will it be enough to satisfy the NCAA? Here's where things went sideways. LSU is frustrated because, stop me if you've heard this before, stop me if you've heard this before, LSU, the institution, believed that the investigation was over until a certain event triggered a renewed investigation. It wasn't anything that happened on draft night. It was instead Odell Beckham tossing Benjamins Benjamins around in celebration after LSU beat Clemson for a national title. And so the NCAA came back and did a little more digging. And then LSU thought the investigation was basically over again. Stop me if you've heard that line of thinking before. And then the NCAA handed down penalties to Kansas, or at least started the process of handing down penalties to Kansas, but they rolled the basketball and football investigations into a single case. And so the NCAA stopped negotiating with LSU on penalties for their football case and decided that they wanted to roll basketball and football together. I do understand the frustration for LSU because their football case is basically done. And the basketball program has not yet even today received its notice of allegations. There's an investigation ongoing, and the NCAA says, yeah, just be patient, we'll get to it. I feel like that scene in the movie Beer Fest, they're frustrated. They're frustrated. They're frustrated. I don't care that you're frustrated. $180,000 from a children's hospital. Sit there with your frustrated selves and take your penalties when they come. Ross writes that in its favor, LSU no longer employs two high-ranking athletic department members, athletic director Joe Oliva and football coach Les Miles, who were in their positions during the booster payments. Um, Yeah, that doesn't pass the smell test for me, and here's why. They didn't get rid of Les Miles and Joe Oliva because they were concerned of NCAA impropriety. Nope. They got rid of Les Miles because they wanted a better football coach, and they got rid of Joe Oliva because he was a bumbling buffoon, and they wanted a better athletics director. They ultimately gave Ed Ogeron the job, first on an interim basis, then full-time. He has since won a national championship. And they certainly traded up, if in no other way, in terms of political connections, in going from Joe Oliva, who I've got to believe has trouble figuring out which shoe goes on the right foot and which shoe goes on the left foot each morning. Jeez, man. (laughs) And they added Scott Woodward to the mix. LSU... trying to figure out what to do, and all they can do is sit and wait. I'm sure lots of people feel sorry for them. Bill Bender will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. 
Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Phil Bender writes at the Sporting News, one of our favorite guests, and uh, kind to join us on this Wednesday afternoon, now just two days away from the start of Big Ten play. And, Bill, if we're being honest, sunny and 80 in Big Ten country at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning doesn't really look like Big Ten football. 46 in rain in Madison on Friday night. 53 in clouds in Columbus. 49 and partly sunny in East Lansing. 54 in Bloomington and cloudy. Purdue, 55 and cloudy. Minneapolis, 33 with a chance of snow. And 49 in suburban Chicago on Saturday night. That's Big Ten football weather. Maybe they got it right all along. <laughs> Get us started right on the night. Yeah, I'm looking outside my window right now. And there's gray flannel skies and, you know, fall leaves and all that kind of stuff. And it's always been my favorite month. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that they're playing. And there is some fun games this weekend. There's an intriguing matchup between Michigan and Minnesota. We can see Ohio State, uh, Indiana, Penn State. Could be a little bit interesting. And it kicks off Friday night with Wisconsin, Illinois. So I'm a happy camper to get to see some Big 12 or uh, Big 10 football. In Big 10 country, is there excitement or is the emotion different? No, I mean, everybody's excited. We're always excited about football in this part of the country. I think there's a. Across the conference, there's a resignation that you know, Ohio State's probably better than everybody else, but somebody's got to go out and try to beat them. And, you know, that, that usual list of suspects, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Penn State, maybe Minnesota. I mean, that's the, the big one Saturday night, Michigan, Minnesota, because as I've been saying, and, and you'll appreciate this being down there, I mean, Michigan wins. You guys down there are just going to scroll down on your phones. If Minnesota wins, it'll be a big deal. Should it be? At this point? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think Michigan is a better program than Minnesota. I think Harbaugh's losses generate a lot more attention than P.J. Flex wins. Uh, you know, I mean, who is? I'd look this up today. I mean, if they're not ranked in the top ten, Harbaugh's eight and three against them. It's not bad. And so I think that kind of favors Michigan as long as this quarterback, Joe Milton, is as advertised. But we saw this in the SEC, and you know this well. I mean, there's a lot of the unknown here. They haven't played in so long that there's definitely bound to be jitters and some surprises. Yeah, and that's part of, I guess, what makes it fun. Uh, I'm curious if there's like preemptive frustration among coaches in particular about the uh, the 21-day quarantine policy. If somebody tests positive, they're out for 21 days, which just kind of goes against everything medically that we've heard all throughout this pandemic. I, 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 don't, I, I still don't understand the 21 days out for a positive test. Well, and I think they're going over the top. Um, with, believe me, our family has figured this out in the last couple of weeks of what that means. Um, you know, like the... I, I guess putting it that, that there's so many different ways of interpreting what a quarantine is. And we, you know, we found that out through the youth sports circuit, what close contact means, what, what it isn't and those kind of things. And I mean, when you're dealing with the college football level, I, I think it's weird that Jeff Brom has to quarantine for what, seven to 10 days and an athlete has to three weeks. It, it's certainly very. And after last week, I mean, we, we watched Nick Saban magically, Get on the side. Was there any doubt, Richard? I'll ask you. Was there any doubt Wednesday that you think he would still be on the sideline? 
You know, we spent some time, I guess Wednesday was when that broke, talking about whether or not he would coach from a booth. I always thought he was going to be in the stadium one way or the other. Um, But then once you realized, oh, wait, if it's an actual positive test, you can test out of that. And and to me, that's the craziest thing about this, Bill, when when you look at the SEC's policies. A positive test and you're out for 10 days. Although, if it turns out to be a false positive, three consecutive negatives can allow you to test out and be back in the fold, which is obviously what happened with Nick Saban. But if you get sidelined because of close contact or contact tracing, it's a 14-day period, and there's no provision that allows you to test out of that. It doesn't matter how many negatives you have. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, there's a the close contact thing is very interesting. And uh, some of these things are. And, I, and again, I think every week of this season is going to be impacted by COVID. Um, every week of the NFL season. I mean, last weekend we got lucky. There was no game postponed or moved, and they've been able to manage that. And I think, you know, the SEC had a really wild week with that last week, and this week's a little less pronounced. And you still got the Georgia-Alabama game in, and everybody got to see what I kind of figured, that Alabama isn't going anywhere with Mac Jones in that offense. Bill, let's talk about the teams in Mississippi just for a second. Um, we'll, We'll start with Mississippi State. I think we talked to you after uh, after they played LSU early. And they were so impressive and kind of the darlings of college football, especially K.J. Costello winning every national award. And then it's just gone so incredibly south and, and has done so so quickly to, to the point of K.J. Costello being benched, and we have no idea if he's going to start when they play against Alabama. It seems like that's probably not likely at this point. What do you make of Mississippi State and the way it has gone through four weeks, four games for Mike Leach? Well, I think, you know, with Mississippi State, it's just the ups and downs of that offense. And, you know, you saw that when he was in the Big 12 or when he was at Washington State. You saw the high point early. I mean, they raised the bar possibly high in the opener. And uh, when they're throwing for all those yards and ripping apart LSU's secondary, and obviously some teams have made some adjustments in the SEC. And I, honestly, I think it's time for Mississippi State to readjust to that. Um, once you know defenses are how, you're, how, how they're going to play you, You've got to adjust your passing game. And quite frankly, Costello's got to stop throwing so many interceptions, and that would help. So it's just a week-to-week experience with Mike Leach and nothing new there. But but one of the, the uh, talking points, not the right way, just something we've talked about a lot, is the fact that that's not what Mike Leach does. He doesn't adjust his offense. And, and, and we all look at it, you look at it, you go, well, you know, it would make sense if defenses have caught up. But but that's not what Mike Leach does. He says, no, we're going to do it this way, and it will eventually work. It just takes a little bit of time. Yeah, and, I mean, that's one way to do it. But, again, I mean, I, my, my biggest thing with Leach when he came to there, I knew it was going to create excitement. You know he's going to be a great quote. You know that offense is going to have nights where it, it is on fire and clicking on all cylinders, but there are some downsides to it. And how do you do that in a conference where every week – I mean, at least every other week, you're playing a top-10 team. Now, if it's not A&M, it's, it's going to be Alabama. If it's not Alabama, it'll be Auburn and, and Florida and so on. I mean, every week in that conference is a grinder. And, and that's what they didn't have in the Big 12. I mean, it was Texas and Oklahoma. And in the Pac-12, it was you know Washington and maybe Stanford or Oregon. It's a little bit different in the SEC. Down the road a bit in Oxford, uh, Ole Miss really impressive offensively in the first three weeks, despite – 
winning only one of those three games, and then this past weekend played about as bad a football game as you can play. They were actually a little better defensively. Still had a chance to win it at the end, but almost inexplicably, seven turnovers in the game. What do you make of Lane Kiffin and and Ole Miss and the offense and their ability to adjust going forward? In that same thing, I mean, there's a lot of flair with Kiffin. Comes, I mean, their offense, he's still a brilliant play caller at times. And, yeah, I think with them, it's going to come down to how he recruits. I mean, can he get them on that Hugh Freeze plane with bringing in some serious talent? Um, and that's the, the ironic thing is, you know, seeing last weekend that Auburn fans were kind of calling to bring Hugh Freeze in. Because he, I mean, of all the guys that have coached in the SEC during the reign of Saban, um, I would venture, I mean, Gus has done it a little bit. Freeze is the one that legitimately, from a schematic standpoint, had Alabama freaked out consistently when they played. I think you would agree with that. Yeah, I, I would. Although Gus is the one that has beaten them more than anybody else in the SEC, and probably the reason that he's still the head coach at Auburn. Um, right. And, and yeah, but with Auburn, I mean, I saw this tweet circulating this week, so, and it's a good point, and it kind of circles to Stetson Bennett last week, where. If you're not an Auburn quarterback, the last three guys to beat Alabama were Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, and, and Joe Burrow. And all of those guys, well, two of them are playing on Sunday, and the next one's going to be the number one pick. It's a good point. I, I am curious about this with regard to the Big Ten. Ohio State, the prohibitive favorite. Everybody expects that they will run the table and will be part of the college football playoff. Is there another Big Ten team that could potentially be a second team that's in that final four? Um, probably not, because I think the West, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota are all close, and they've got tough crossover schedules. And, you know, it's the usual. Penn State had some serious losses. Not having Micah Parsons, that's its best defense player. Not having Journey Brown, running back they lost this week. And then not having Ohio State come to their place with a whiteout and, and, and the advantage that that creates on a Saturday night in Happy Valley. It's, it's not going to be there. So I don't think they're it. And, I mean, Michigan, it's the same thing. Michigan's intriguing to me because we talk about them so much and it's like the same movie every year. And I do think they're being a touch undersold, but I still don't think they're on Ohio State's level by any means. It's going to be fun. Get started on Friday night this week in Madison, Wisconsin. Follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92. He writes at Sporting News and always puts out great and interesting content. Bill, thanks as always for your time. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. That's Bill Bender. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't forget, we are celebrating National Pork Month and reintroducing you to real pork. Tonight, let's celebrate everything. Sorry, together, let's celebrate everything that is real about pork. Real stories, real pig farmers, and the real way people feel when they enjoy the authentic flavors of pork. Go to pork.org slash real dash pork to learn more Bacon was on the menu again this morning, and I actually took some of your suggestions. I don't know why I'd never thought of it before. Hey, Dad, I mentioned yesterday that uh, our standard bacon cooking method is throw it on a big cookie sheet and stick it in the oven. So we bake it, and it still comes out. I mean, it tastes the same as if you fry it in a skillet, I I think. Some might argue otherwise. 
And I said the one drawback is it's always such a mess to clean up because you got to scrub on that pan unless you immediately dump the bacon grease out, which you're not going to do while it's super hot unless you got one of those jars. We don't do that. But usually let it dry, and then you got to scrape it off and scrub the pan and all that good stuff. Had two or three people are like, uh, you're doing it wrong, Richard. Put some aluminum foil on the plant pan. Did that this morning. Made a lot easy, of sense. Easy. Just folded it up, threw it away, quick rinse with a little soap on the pan. It's back in the uh, in the drawer under the stove, and all is good. And that, that felt that like a bacon. milestone. Yeah. And it was bacon. Yeah. And it was great. Mama Jane out of town uh, yesterday and today. And so it was. Uh, I, I sent a, uh, a text message, like a family text message this morning. Said uh, three kids to school, fed with lunches on time, and gave like the uh, you know the arm flex emoji. Yeah. And then I followed it up with, Jane, please don't ever leave again. <laughs> <laughs> Just a lot that happens in the morning. It, it's easier on. to tag team that than uh, than go the solo route. But uh, we made it out the door, and everybody was fed. I don't think I forgot anything. Probably did. I just don't know what it was. Guess we'll figure that out uh, tonight. So, a um, couple of questions following up from what we were talking about with LSU a little while ago. King Biscuit says, "What all do we know of what LSU did, basketball and football?" Here's what we know. We know that on the football front, LSU had the father of former offensive lineman. Vidal Alexander receiving $180,000 in stolen money from LSU booster John Paul Funes, who admitted in 2019 that he embezzled more than half a million dollars from Our Lady of the Lake Hospital in Baton Rouge, specifically the children's wing of that hospital. Money was pay, uh, the money was payment from 2012 to 2017 for what the NCAA characterized as a no-show job. Odell Beckham made those cash payments to players immediately after the national championship game two grand. Making it rain with $100 bills. And there was an impermissible recruiting contact in January of 2019 by Ed Ogeron. They self-imposed recruiting restrictions on Ogeron. That's what we know from football. Here's what we know from basketball. According to a July letter from NCAA Vice President of Enforcement, John Duncan, to the Committee on Infractions, said his staff received information that, quote, Mr. Wade, being Will Wade, arranged for, offered, and or provided impermissible payments, including cash payments, to at least 11 men's basketball prospective student-athletes their family members, individuals associated with the prospects, and or non-scholastic coaches in exchange for the prospects' enrollment at LSU. Sports Illustrated says they have corroborated that by receiving similar information regarding at least one recruit. So, on the football side of things... Indirect pay for play going to a father, not directly to a student athlete. On the basketball side of things, direct pay for play and indirect pay for play, which traditionally is what the NCAA has frowned on the most. 
perhaps behind only academic impropriety. Although, in certain situations, academic impropriety is really not that big of a deal. Like in Chapel Hill. At Mississippi State, academic impropriety was a big darn deal. Less of a big deal in Chapel Hill. Jumpman, Coach Roy, and whatnot. Don't forget about Missouri. Oh, yeah. Baseball, softball, and football, right? One tutor. One tutor. Got three sports. Postseason bans in all three sports. And, and this is this is the point, and maybe you roll your eyes when I say that, but this is the point when I look at this thing and I go, hold on a second. If you're Missouri, if you're Mississippi State, to a lesser extent if you're Ole Miss, because the the, the violations with Ole Miss were scattered out a bunch of across a bunch of things. They did, though, going way back, include the ACT academic impropriety stuff. But if you're one of those schools that's gotten like nose bloodied by the NCAA, and then LSU skates. Or one of these other schools that were the subject of an FBI investigation where the evidence is out there for all the world to see, assuming the FBI or the Justice Department will allow that information to be seen? How do you... I mean, I know you, you kind of can't sue the NCAA, but you kind of can, can't you? Voluntary know member can, but... made up of its organi- of its members, etc. I, I get all that. But how can you be that all over the map in terms of penalties if you don't you drop you the hammer on LSU? Sorry, hey, Dad. I, I don't think that the schools can sue, but obviously individuals can. The, the problem becomes, can a university employee sue? Because that that's where the, the issue is. I mean, we talk about like Jackie Sherrill. Well, he wasn't you know still a... Uh, 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 an employee of Mississippi State during this lawsuit. So it's different, I guess, than if Will Wade decides he's going to sue the NCAA or the other way around. Somebody from Mississippi State decides to sue the NCAA for unfair punishment, you know, however you want to put it. Here's what you shouldn't do, though. They shouldn't sue. They should leave. That's what they should do. Because come 2021, when name, image, and likeness becomes a thing, whether it be through Congress, what they're trying to do, or the NCAA decides as a final uh, life vest for themselves they implement, then why do you need them? What do you need them for? Why would they exist? I think that should be what they're working towards. Especially... If $180,000 that was proven in court, this isn't like the Cam Newton thing 
where he can smile and say it's an ongoing investigation. Or we had a texter earlier bring up Southern Miss. They got Donnie Tyndall based on a witness that changed his story three times. And that's what they got him on. When it comes to LSU, this is proven in court. And the guy got convicted for it. 180K through a hospital charity funneled for football purposes. If that doesn't lead to massive sanction, then you should leave. Everybody collectively should look at each other and say, what are we doing here? Why are we letting this happen? Why can Missouri... In Mississippi State, in Southern Cal, Reggie Bush just got, it just was allowed to be recognized by his alma mater just now for accepting the same thing monetarily that's happening here at LSU. And they didn't have a basketball program doing the same crap at the time either. A lawsuit, you're right, is probably not the right tactic, it's an uprising. That's necessary. Serious, serious note here. Unrelated. We get a message on the ceasefire text line from Aaron in Meridian. He says, guys, sad news to report. Today, the head football coach of Southeast Lauderdale High School, Coach Hampton, was killed in a vehicle collision. The story is available in the Meridian Star. Can we please mention this and ask for prayers for the community hit hard with this today? You bet, Aaron. God. You think about the role that high school football plays in local communities and the number of people that are affected by a story like this. So incredibly tragic. Our prayers for uh, for God's grace to work in that awful situation. Sometimes you get a stretch to feel sorry for a professional athlete. But sometimes you get a story that reminds you that, yeah, never mind the size of their bank account. All these guys love the game. They love to compete. And sometimes things happening, uh, things happen that really hurt. That's the story out of South Florida today. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been benched before. Multiple times. But this time really stung, and there was nothing he could do to conceal the hurt Wednesday during a nine-minute Zoom session with reporters. This story from Hal Habib at the uh, Palm Beach Post. Fitzpatrick was called to Brian Flores' office on Tuesday informed that he was being replaced as the starting quarterback by rookie Tua Tagovailoa. This, despite enjoying one of his best seasons and despite leading the Dolphins to two consecutive wins, a 3-3 three and three record, and a second-place spot in the division. Fitzpatrick says, I was shocked by it. Definitely caught me off guard. It was a hard thing for me to hear yesterday, just kind of digesting the news. My heart just hurt all day. It's heartbreaking for me. In nine minutes, Fitzpatrick made four references to how much his heart ached. And the writer says one just as gut-wrenching as the other. Fitzpatrick said, I've been a starter. I've been benched all kinds of different ways, but this one 
just really more so than any of them. This organization and what we've been through the last year and a half, this was kind of the first place other than Buffalo where I just felt fully committed and invested and felt like it was my team to have that. I think that's a lot of the reason why I just, my heart was so heavy yesterday. But that's the direction that the organization is going, and I've just got to accept it. Fitzpatrick said he did not request a trade, nor has he sat down with his family to discuss whether he's going to push toward retirement at the end of the year. But he said this isn't a temporary decision. This is a forever decision. This is a long-term decision. Brian Fitzpatrick's been pretty good in the NFL for a long time. He's made a bunch of money. That hurts to read it, though. Yeah. And it especially got a sting for him when he was playing maybe the best of his entire career. I mean, they were, they were a playoff team. That that's the direction they were going, and and don't so everybody's talking about how they've won two straight, but three weeks ago they had Seattle on the ropes. Yeah, he was intercepted a couple of times, but he played well, threw for a bunch of yards, and they I mean they should have beaten Seattle that day. So that's three weeks in a row they're playing really good football. He's throwing for a bunch of yards, completing passes, and they're a playoff team. I mean, I I get the move for Miami. I kind of respect it honestly to understand that hey, right now it's more important for us to build for 2021 and beyond than try to scrape into the playoffs this year. So we're going to go ahead and stick with our schedule. And this kid's healthy and he's ready to play, so we're going to play him because that's what he drafted him for. I respect people that don't alter their plans because of unexpected result. That, That makes sense. But they're a playoff team. And unless two is... Great as a rookie, which is possible. But if he has some rookie growing pains, they're going to miss the playoffs when they didn't have to make this move right now. I respect him for looking ahead to the future. But how, on the other hand, what does this tell your team in the locker room right now? Because the message is, this is a move for the future. We don't care about this season. Even if he's great, that's what the message is. If you're a veteran in that locker room, does this bother you? Or maybe the message is, no, we're invested in this for the long term, and this is the guy that has a chance to take us to the Super Bowl. I don't know off the top of my head, because I don't know the nuances of Miami, but I bet there's some veterans in contract years on that roster right now. Oh, I'm sure. That would be tough for them, too. Of course, they're professionals, and they'll play, and they'll play hard, because I I imagine in the... The thing about this is when Tua went into the game last week, did you see Fitzpatrick's reaction? He was leading the cheers. Mm-hmm. He's pledged not to be a disruptive force during the transition. Listen listen to these two quotes. There's two separate situations here. One is with Tua, and the other one is my feelings. I've got to separate those feelings from trying to be a professional and help him out as best I can. Tua admitted, it hurts me in a way to see Fitz hurt. And he called their relationship like father and son. And Fitz admitted that the league can be awkward. He said, this profession is interesting in the the guy that fired me. I basically got fired yesterday. And then my day of work today consisted of me in Zoom meetings, listening to the guy that fired me, and then locked in a spaced out room with my replacement for four hours today. 
So there's a whole lot of jobs that are, uh, there aren't a whole lot of jobs that are like that. I just think with the guy, some of the guys in the locker room, I mean, you play for a team that pretty openly tried to tank last year to get this guy. This was the guy they wanted. He's healthy. It's time to play him. They sure they have to be able to accept that. Even Fitzpatrick yeah. to a degree. Yes. And I think he understands that. But at the same time, you look at it and you're like, yeah, but... But we're winning. It's a playoff team, man. They they are making a quarterback change when they're clicking and on their way to the playoffs. That's tough. I mean, I get that, but I think Tua's ceiling is a lot higher than, than Ryan Fitzpatrick's. And if he starts playing at that level sooner rather than later, maybe not only you go to the playoffs, but you can win some games in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You make the transition when you think it's time to make the transition. Kurt Warner didn't love it when he got benched for Eli Manning. But it was time for the Giants to see what they had with Manning. And it was the beginning of a 13-year run with him as the starter in the NFL. You get reminders all the time that it's a business. About winning, but it's a business. And when you invest heavily in something, when it's time, you make that change. I started this by saying, look, it's hard to feel sorry for guys. Brian Fitzpatrick's made $71.5 million in the NFL and has been in the league since 2005. He made $230,000 plus a small signing bonus. His signing bonus was $28,250 his rookie year in 05. He had a $13 million season in Buffalo in 2011. He had a $12 million season with the Jets in 2016. And he's made $8 million this year with the Miami Dolphins. It's good to be him. It is good to be him. And oh, by the way, you know what he has hanging on the wall. Stop me if you've heard this before. He has a degree from Harvard. Wait. Wait, Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard? Next, you're going to tell me Antonio Gates played basketball. Yeah. Hey, Richard, did you know that Colby Bortles is Blake Bortles' brother? Well played. What about uh, Kramer Robertson? He's got a mom that does something in sports. No way. Jake Mangum had an uncle that went to Ole Miss. I don't know if you knew that. That's news to me. Speaking of that, did you see the lead singer of his walkout song passed away recently? Yeah. The lead singer of The Outfield passed away? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's no that. way you missed that story. I missed that story. Did you did really? Yeah. 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 You never miss yeah. any story like that. I missed that one. When did it happen? Still the last couple of days, isn't it? Or, or Monday night, possibly? Very recently. Speaking of crazy stories, Phil Collins, <laughs> Genesis. I can feel it coming in the air. That Phil Collins, you heard about the situation that he and his ex-wife are going through? I don't have time to get into it right this second. We'll do it when we come back after the break. 
This is insane. Yeah, you don't want to miss this story. Insane. We're going to find out just how good Borky is, by the way. It must be some misunderstanding. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just assuming. must be some kind of mistake. I'm just assuming when we come back from this break. You'll never change her, so leave her. <laughs> leave her. Mm. Get out quick. Just assuming we'll the bump music when we come back is going to be fitting to talk about Phil Collins. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick time out. Be right back. Auto was right. It's always the same. It's just a shame. That's all. That's good. It's just not the one I was anticipating. We'll come out with it. Fair enough. Phil Collins of Genesis fame. I guess he's got solo fame as well, right? I'm about to say, he's, oh, yeah, yeah. he's probably more famous as just Phil Collins. Very good. You Fair like enough. Phil Collins? Uh, I like Phil Collins. Sure. Oh, that's an old movie reference that you didn't get. Um, shocking. American Psycho a... with Christian Bale? Yeah. Never seen it. It's a rough scene, but very good movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. Phil Collins has filed a lawsuit against his ex-wife and her new husband, claiming that the couple has forcibly seized the musician's Miami Beach mansion unlawfully, hiring armed guards to patrol the property and changing the alarm codes to keep him out. In a lawsuit filed earlier today in Miami-Dade County, the court documents allege that Orianne Seve Collins Mejati Bates okay, and Thomas Bates, whom she married in August, quote, have refused to vacate the property, which is owned by Collins. And they have commandeered the former Genesis frontman's home through a show of force. The lawsuit caused the occupants trespassers and reveals that Phil Collins, quote, believes there is a substantial risk that Mrs. Bates or Mr. Bates or their agents will remove, (laughs) conceal, or destroy valuable and irreplaceable personal property from the home. And it would stand to reason that somebody of Phil Collins' stature would have some irreplaceable things I couldn't imagine the value of some of the stuff he has in his home. Yeah. In an October 9th letter from Collins' attorney to the attorney representing Orian Bates, Jeffrey Fisher claimed his opposing counsel's client is attempting to hold the House hostage during stalled negotiations stemming from an attempt by Collins' ex-wife to receive, quote, a preposterous amount of money, close quote, based on an oral agreement that Fisher said doesn't exist. The attorney says she called the alarm company and falsely represented she had the authority to remove Phil's access code and give access codes to the so-called security guards that she brought on the property without my client's consent. She contacted the video surveillance company and told them to install install a new system and taped up some of the existing cameras that my client uh, that give my client visual access to his property. She denied access to the realtor 
who wanted to show the property to a ready, willing, and able buyer. She did other things too long to list for which all rights and remedies are reserved. The house is on the market. I think it's feels for like sale. Any kind of settle, feels like any kind of settlement is going to be against all odds. <laughs> <laughs> and when Collins it's over, it'll be million. just another day in paradise. Collins paid $33 million for the house in 2015. It's listed for sale at $40 million. <laughs> He owns the house. He's attempting to sell the house. Real estate wants to show the house. Has a buyer ready, willing, and able. She refuses to let him in. Nope. Can't come in. Richard, you can't hurry love. It just has uh, to Ms. wait. M- Mr. Collins, we were going to show the house, but uh, there was this uh, vigilante security guard. He drew a weapon on me. We decided to uh, look down the street instead. I'll tell you, that guy had to be in a land of confusion. She doesn't sound like an easy lover. <laughs> Keep him coming. Well played, fellas. Well played. If I could work some studio in here some way, I, I can't do it, though. I don't know how. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> That's a crazy story, man. I'm not necessarily laughing at you know somebody oh, else's yeah, I, misfortune, but... I kind of. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a reasonable... Hey, yeah, sometimes lawsuits are frivolous. This seems like a reasonable one. Yeah, I agree. If all of these things are actually true... Which they probably are. Yeah, if she ran off and married some younger dude while she was still married to Phil Collins, then there might be something off. Wait, they were oh, married at this... One. She married another guy while still married to him? Legally, I think. Who? Like, like, Or they... It's Shift something like they, they got divorced or something years ago, but then got back together for the kids, and so like they were still together, and she married this other dude. It's bizarre. Hmm. Poor guy. Great musician. New Phil Collins tour coming your way soon. He's going to need to recoup some of his losses. <laughs> you know that guy that wrote uh, Old Town Road, that song that was popular for like two months? Yeah. He put on Twitter that he needs to write another song because the Old Town Road money's wearing out. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, wasn't that... Uh... That was Achy Breaky Heart, wasn't it? Uh, he, Billy uh, Ray Cyrus was. He joined was that featuring, guy, yeah. Featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. College football fix is coming your way next week. We'll be right back. After a quick Google search during the break, I'm not so sure that Phil Collins isn't the winner in this deal. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> But did he show his true colors? Oh, yes. Best one yet. Boom! What happened though? Why are we what do we what did you Google? Orianne Collins? Oh, the wife? Yeah. Just curious who are we talking about here? Didn't know her. Oh, she God. has never met an injection she didn't like. She looks like Mante Teo. <laughs> Maybe that's Lene. I'd make Kukua? a girlfriend too. Kokoa? Kukua? Lene Kukua. 
doesn't matter what it is. Super Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. We are glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, getting closer to the weekend, which means Ole Miss and Auburn coming your way on Saturday morning at 11. Mississippi State is off this week. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by Ceasefire. Excuse me, Ceasefire plans get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at ceasefire.com slash prepaid. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. Tail end of Ford Truck Month. Don't want to miss out on the savings on the F-150. That's the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. We didn't do this yesterday other than like very, very briefly at the end of the show. So let's dive in to what the fellas... In the desert, say about the games this weekend. Auburn is a three-point favorite over Ole Miss. That stayed pretty steady. Yeah, it was still three this morning uh, when I looked again to be sure. But it, it, like you mentioned, it has gone down a little bit. I th- I wonder how much potential COVID issues in Oxford is dictating this. Lane Kiffin said today that there might be some guys that are in the offensive depth chart that have to possibly be on the defensive depth chart this week. Mm. Uh, so, And it's the contact tracing rules. I mean, he touched on it again. Uh, why is a player that's negative having to sit out for two weeks? So that sounds like that's more of what they're dealing with right now. It's not necessarily a high number of positives. It's guys that have been in close contact with the positives that are sitting them out potentially uh, for Saturday's game. So I wonder if that has any impact on the line, because I don't think Auburn's better than Ole Miss. They showed it on Saturday. They're not worth a crap. But, I mean, who knows yes. how many players. Preach. It's very true. I mean, if, if COVID wasn't a thing, Gus is gone. I mean, it, that, that, this would have been the end. But I wonder if that's playing a factor here. Maybe. And it would be the uncertainty that is uh, perhaps playing a factor. Look, when it was all said and done, I mean, for all the, oh, Miss has got an outbreak last week, they had one positive and two contact tracing guys. Yeah, they oversold that, didn't they? Little gamesmanship going on. Y- you think? <laughs> I mean, Ole Miss had five players that were out total last week. And a couple were injury-related, and three were COVID-related. One special teams, couple on the defensive side, and then a couple other players. Uh, Dean Leonard didn't play last week. Somebody else. Who's the other one on the defensive side? It's been a long time since I made all those notes on my scorecard, or it feels like it was. It was Tisdale Leonard and then Jock Jones did not play, right, because of something unrelated. Now, Jock West Jones was back. Oh, he didn't play against Alabama. Yeah, he missed Alabama. It was in concussion protocol. Uh, Ja'Cory Hawkins and Tisdale and Isaiah Woolard were out. 
Willard's playing a little on special teams. Hawkins and Tisdale were starters, and Dean Leonard, I don't even remember what his – they don't and talk much about injuries. You're just either in or out. And there was one more. I just can't remember who it was. There hasn't been uh, much to be happy about on that side of the ball, but Hawkins has kind of been at times a bright spot in the defensive secondary. Yeah, at times. Certainly has. So Auburn's a three-point favorite. The total in this game is 70 and a half. I expect the scoreboard, boys. Yeah, I, I expect Ole Miss to, to to stack the box and say, Bo Nix, you can't beat us. Try. Because that's, you that's can't strategy. You can't let Tank Bigsby beat you. I know I know the kid's a freshman, but at this point, he's going to be productive. And so you stack the box and stop him and say, Bo Nix, your offensive line can't protect you, and you make bad decisions even when they do. So if you beat us, you know, tip of the cap. a bad person. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is what I expect Ole Miss to do, is sell out to stop Bigsby and dare Bo Nix to beat him. Yeah. Got, I got no... I got no lean on this game today whatsoever. Could see Ole Miss winning big. Could see Auburn winning big. Could see it being close either way. Uh, well, let's right see here. This is a coin one. game. There it is. I got Heck yeah. Right hey, here you go. Kevin Steele, defensive coordinator. That's that's a phone, Richard. It's not. That's not Kevin Steele. Oh, no, I understand that, but I've got quote pulled up. This is what Kiffin said today about him. Defensively, Kevin Steele has been around a long time. Runs a similar system to Alabama, which, make, which makes you perk up a little bit. The question is, is he going to basically stick with his system, or is he going to say, you know what, what Barry Odom did work really well, let me try and scrap what we do and we'll do that. Or maybe it's somewhere in, in between. He goes on to say they seem to always have elite defensive linemen, front seven players. Glad the guy from last year, Derek Brown, ain't playing. Watching that film, he's a lot of havoc. Not a lot of people blocking him. Glad he's gone. But, hey, they always get great players. You're not wrong, Coach. Alabama's a 21-point favorite against Tennessee. Doesn't feel like enough. Are they going to let that, that Tennessee team that was playing the first half against Georgia out to play this game? If so, I might take Alabama. But if they're still under lock and key, I will definitely take Alabama. I, for one, am thrilled that they were able to preserve the pageantry of the third Saturday in October. On the fourth, fourth Saturday in October. I, I know. Borky. I mean, even with a revised schedule that they could have just done anything they wanted <laughs> to, they couldn't put it on the third Saturday in October. Hey, Dad, we'll but get this, this is what holds the Borky entire so conference much. hostage. This is the reason you go 10 years between playing schools is this game, and they can't even put her on the third well, Saturday. Now, hold on. Don't forget about the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Oh, got to have that, too. You could put Auburn in the East, and nobody would blink an eye. I, for yeah, one, I would trade Auburn rivalry could for Missouri. I mean, I know I just said they stink out loud, but generally I would much rather have Missouri What kind of geography in the does West. the Southeastern Conference teach its children? The Missouri's in the East. Come on. That's, you mentioned a saying ago, will this be enough? And, you know, which Alabama, you know, whatever. I don't know why, but I feel like Alabama made a decided downshift last week. And I mean that in the most positive way. Borky, I know you've never driven a stick shift. I have. I, I get it. That's me. Oh, I thought. I, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. 
Hey, Dad, I know you dri- haven't driven a stick shift. So, Borky, you'll get this analogy. Maybe Hey, Dad won't. Not because you're slowing down, but because you're trying to rev the RPMs up and you're about to pull out in the left lane and just go around somebody. It feels like that's what Alabama did last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. we gave up 48 to Ole Miss. Oh, you don't think we can play defense anymore? Oh, you didn't think we could score against Georgia's offense? Drop it down into fourth gear, even though you're already going to 70. Flare those RPMs up to about 6,000, pull out, and then boom. And I'm afraid that Tennessee's going to be on the receiving end of that this weekend. I don't know what well, to do. Well, that's bad. If that's bad, I agree with you. You get where I was going with that. More or less, yeah. Um, Kentucky's a five-and-a-half-point favorite at Missouri. Kentucky wins by 22, and they gain 213 yards. <laughs> they found a plan that works. That would be just absolutely right on brand, sticking to script. Or just punt on third down and play defense, because apparently they can score on that side of the ball. Five and a half points on the road. LSU's a six-point favorite at home. It started at seven. It's gone to six and a half and now down to six. Because Brennan's not home. Yeah, I hope South you got Carolina. it at seven. <laughs> Carolina. <laughs> must champ of a, a, a whiff of friskiness. We'll talk just a little bit more about that game and then some of the other top 25 games of interest when we come back. 12 gauge, we tore out the drive, you peppered my tail. Could also be Orient security team. Just thinking. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Ceasefire text line is open. By the way, shout out to my guy Justin. He thinks he can help me with my internet issue at home and sent me a message and uh, can't wait to talk to him in the morning. So there we go. Appreciate that very much, more than you know. 601-879-4395, that is the number for the C Spire text line. Guys, there's something different about Bama this year. Bama's kicker, kicker, made a 52-yard field goal last week. That is a big change. Yeah, he did. They'd figure it out. They knew they'd figure it out eventually. I didn't think it would take a better part of a decade, but they, they got it figured out. Honest question. Seriously, why is it that they have had bad kickers? Not guys that have missed a kick but have been otherwise really good kickers. They've had bad, objectively bad kickers for years. How does that happen? Well, when you bring Mr. Papa Giorgio in. <laughs> Yeah, anywho. Another one. I've watched both Auburn and Ole Miss every game this year. Knicks is way overrated. Williams is elite. Agreed. And their secondary is darn good. Ole Miss should stack the box, double Williams, and run Plumley and your running backs all over them. That is Dickie Frazier in Mantachi. Dickie signs it as Dickie BBN Frazier. 
Yeah, he's our resident Kentucky fan. I that think listens. I believe he is our uh, our Kentucky fan. Big Blue Nation shout out there. I mean, they've they've said it a couple of times this week. They they expect to get the same look that Arkansas gave them, and I mean, Kiffin specifically mentioned Mississippi State and said that's what Arkansas did to Mississippi State, and Kentucky basically copycatted that strategy. And I guess he hadn't mm-hmm. seen the A and M game yet, so they anticipate Auburn to do the same thing. And if that's the case, as they said, I'm not repeating anything, you know, groundbreaking, but it's running the football and it's your quarterback basically playing like Drew Brees has to play now. Except for Matt Corral has the arm to throw deep balls, just keep everything underneath until they get out of that zone and then you can beat them over the top. So check downs to your running back, stuff like that. And when you run it and when you consistently hit slants, I'm talking about quick slants, I'm not talking about long developing slants that turn into digs or whatever, and linebackers have a chance to drop into color. I'm talking about snap, look, throw. And you swing at the backside of the backfield, eventually they're going to have to make a change. And as soon as they make a change, boom, you hit them. That requires patience. It does. And he has got to be patient. This is a critical game for him, I think, because, I mean... On Sunday, I did it a lot because a lot of people were asking about Plumlee. On the podcast, I did it a lot because a lot of people are asking about Plumlee. In two of my group messages, I've got people asking about Plumlee, and I spent the entire time saying, you don't switch right now after one bad game. On top of the fact that he corrals a better fit for your system, but you cannot be reactionary after one bad game. But if he rolls out another multiple turnover game and they lose because of it, you Things might have you have to start thinking about it. So I think this yeah, is a critical game for him. Yeah, because then you're looking him. at like a crisis of confidence, right? And so it's a really important game for for Corral especially to just kind of quiet all that crap down. You know, just play comfortable and confident like he did the first three weeks. Don't force anything, and everything will just settle back down again. Because there is a little bit of noise, nothing like you heard last year. And that, maybe it's infiltrating the locker room. I doubt it is, but maybe it is. A nice performance Saturday shuts everybody up again. Yeah. One bad game is a fluke, two is a trend. So Mississippi State learned that. We'll see what happens this weekend in Oxford. I don't expect Corral to play. I certainly don't expect six interceptions, but I don't expect him to play that poorly at all against yeah. Auburn. Um, I do not like Arkansas at all, but Sam Pittman has done a fantastic job. You can tell the guys want to play for him. We forget Turn how much on that, that matters. Turn that jukebox! Have you seen those clips? Yes. He's genuine. Like, like yeah, 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 it's just who he is. I'm trying to impress anybody. His deal on... Uh, on Clark, the uh, guy that had three interceptions on Twitter the other day was pretty good. Yeah, it was said, good. Uh, Coach, this is almost like a movie script. Nobody all really heard of him. You know, former walk-on. He said, well, they've heard of him now three times at least. <laughs> and he just yes, starts sir. laughing. And then he just starts laughing. It turns out they put the kid on scholarship, or they're going to in January, which is a uh, super cool story. Um, this is a fascinating text to me. He says, hey, go back to the Ole Miss game. Can't believe Kiffin didn't learn from Saban that you go and take the points. They would have won the game if they would have kicked field goals. 
Maybe. I mean, it's easy, easy, easy to say that after the fact. you got to make the field goals, and you don't know if maybe things are a little bit different. But, yes, I mean, I would be lying to you if I didn't say in a commercial break to David and Harry, you know, kind of talking back and forth, whew, sure would be nice to have those six points right now that you didn't kick field goals on. But in the same way that we've talked about Mike Leach, He's going to run his offense. I think the sample size has gotten big enough. And Lane Kiffin told you himself when he was hired. Touchdowns, not field goals. Analytics. We're going to listen to the analytics. They went for it on fourth down nine times against Arkansas. They converted five of them. Problem is, two of them were at the one yard line. Yeah, if you execute on this far, 24 inches or so from the goal line, then you're not even asking about field goals if they just execute at the goal line. So, while I get the point that you're making on the ceasefire text line, um, I don't think that's going to change. I think that's how Lane Kiffin coaches it. Plumley committed to Georgia as a DB. Has there been any talk of that potential? He's too talented to keep on the sideline. That's Kevin in Smithville. Yeah, Kevin, there's been a lot of talk about it. From you, from me, from Borky, from Haydad, hundreds of other Ole Miss fans, thousands of other Ole Miss fans. But in a little bit similar situation to Mississippi State's Garrett Schrader, though Plumlee has not said he's going anywhere, Schrader said, I want to play quarterback. I'm a quarterback. John Rice Plumlee came to Ole Miss for the opportunity to play quarterback. Georgia picked him as a quarterback, but Kirby Smart wanted him as a defensive back. And that's why they brought another quarterback in. They were hoping they were going to hold on to it. A lot of programs do it that way. Ole Miss said, we're going to give you a shot to play quarterback, and they gave him a shot to play quarterback. Nick Saban wanted him as a defensive back. And frankly, if Nick Saban evaluates you as a safety and recruits you as such, he thinks you can play. Yep. He doesn't go after guys that he doesn't think can play. They don't all work out. Obviously. But most of them do. So, I know enough of John Rice Plumlee to know that he's incredibly competitive. He seems to be a good teammate. He is athletically off the charts. But I, I and I think we said this verbatim last week, I don't know what's in his head. Is it quarterback or bust for John Rice Plumley? If it is, he probably won't be at Ole Miss after this season. Unless he's okay with it being quarterback or bust as a backup. But if he's open to... And I want to get to the NFL. I'm self-aware enough to realize that I'm not an NFL quarterback. 
But I might could play safety in the NFL or corner or whatever. I mean, he's not afraid of contact. You watch that when he runs in his running style. Maybe there is a future there. But there's only going to be a future there if he makes up his mind that's what he wants to do and completely commits to it. That's the only way. Same way if you want to move him to the slot. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Sam Pittman from Arkansas was on the Scott Van Pelt show last night, uh, Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. And I don't know what the question was asked, but they just aired it on a uh, commercial break on SEC Network. And he already dropped the, uh, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not interested in being anywhere else, this is my last job. And it felt more genuine than anybody who's ever said anything like that ever. We're, we're four games into his first I know. coaching job. He's already... I know. He's already turning down Texas and Ohio State. But I think he would. I believe him. Like, I believe the man. He said, I grew up 75 miles from here. My wife's from, I think he said, Pittsburgh, Kansas. He said, we've got a lake house in Hot Springs on Lake Hamilton. This is it. And normally I would just roll my eyes at that. I believe Sam Pittman. Um, somebody said if Plumley wants to play quarterback, then Southern Miss is the spot for him to play for Hugh Freeze. <laughs> Circle of life, and we're 100% sure that. Old Kamish wouldn't let him take an SEC job. I am mm, not one hundred percent sure of that. Not one hundred percent sure. No, because I mean, COVID's going to derail a lot of stuff. But like, if South Carolina goes to Baton Rouge this weekend and wins, and they finish the season relatively, you know, kind of at chalk, then he's keeping his job at South Carolina. Yeah. Auburn, apparently, they do this every year, but they have people that are going to want to try to pay Gus's gaudy buyout. 21458000 Even through COVID and all this good stuff, if, in fact, they do make a move from him, is that a route that they would go? Would they, would they be willing to go that route? Because hey, there was an article in The Athletic this morning, and I couldn't stomach to click on it because it's going to be the same crap you've always read about him. Good coach, great offense, did some stuff that nobody ever really talks about to get himself fired at Ole Miss. It's going to be the same thing always and forever. But people are talking about him getting a big-time Power 5 job again. And I... A friend of mine who's an Ole Miss fan texted me earlier today and said, I would be scared to death of you freezing the SEC again. Would Auburn go that route? Because let's not pretend that it was just the NCAA that led to him getting fired at Ole Miss. If that was the case, Auburn would hire have hired him last year. He wouldn't be at liberty right now. 
It wasn't the NCAA. Not guy not at all. From Ole Miss. They would have battled through that and kept him on if there was nothing else going on. So is Auburn willing to take a risk on who is a very, very good football coach? But that, that's what I'm at. Could would they be willing to take that on? Knowing that it's not just the NCAA that got him fired. Mm. I don't know. That's the five million dollar annually question. But I'm telling you, they're not firing Gus. You don't think they can come up with the money? What happens if he goes it's to not, Oxford and gets smoked this weekend? It's not just twenty-one million for Gus. They got to pay out the assistants too. If Auburn wants to get rid of this staff, it is going to cost them $30 million, and that is $30 million that unless a booster wants to write that check, they do not have. A lot of people building decks during the pandemic? I don't know. Look, obviously there is an outlier because most schools have – some boosters who have the means to do whatever they really want to do. I think, generally speaking, people don't want to write those checks, though sometimes they do it. Maybe A&M's got that. But in terms of SEC athletics departments who can just kind of eat that internally right now, if they had to, I really think there's only one. And it's Georgia. And they're not about to do that with Kirby. Obviously. But in terms of the condition in which they currently find themselves in financially, everything I've heard, everything I've been able to gather is it's Georgia, and then there are a couple of programs that are good and solid, but not Georgia solid, and then everybody else. And even in a place like Georgia, where they've got a great big reserve, they don't really have any interest in depleting it. They'll do what they've got to do they'll do what they've got to do to get through this year where they're not whatever. Here's another thing that is going to be interesting. I have heard, but have not been able to confirm, that there is a possibility that the SEC is going to soften this financial blow for everybody in the league. They know that the new television contract is coming eventually, and that they may back out some money in the eight-figure range, and prepay some of that money to all 14 schools. And the interesting piece of that, and again, I've not been able to confirm this. It's I've heard it from a couple of places. The interesting piece of that is there are a couple of schools that would prefer not to get that money because they don't need it right now. And they were basically told, yeah, shut up. Deal with it. Because if we don't, then it's a loan and we got to look at, well, well yeah, we're, we're not doing loans. We're just going to kind of do that across the board. We'll, we'll see. 
Bubba in Starkville says Jimmy Rain can write a $35 million check. Fact. Yes, he can. Yellowwood and whatnot. Especially with where lumber prices are right now. He's having to pay more for lumber than he's selling, but yeah, yeah, of course he can. But what is it? it? It's so easy for people to say, oh, well, I mean, this guy's got $300 million in the bank. He'll stroke a check for $35 million. Why? Do you, do you think that people who have that kind of money love throwing good money at bad? Now, sometimes it gets to the point. I mean, there, there, there's a, somebody says Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, could write the check today to get rid of. Of course he could. Of course he could. I, I don't know what Tim Cook's net worth is. I don't know if he's a billionaire or not. If he's not, he probably will be one day. I mean, if Jeff Bezos was a Mississippi State fan and he wanted to write a check to Mississippi State for $2 billion, he could exercise some stock options with Amazon, write a check, and be done with it. He'd rather send a rocket to the Mars. He did basically have to write a check to his ex-wife for about $30 billion dollars. And every penny of that has been covered. Get a message on the ceasefire text line. It says you're wrong on this one. Yeah, but they're talking about something else. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You got to scroll up on that one. Sorry. Oh, this is related to Matt Corral. Sorry. Completely different deal. Is this, uh, okay, here's an Auburn one. It says, we've got the money to buy him out and hire Hugh Freeze. Okay. Good. I'm glad you've got the money to do it. Somebody's got to write that check. The Auburn Athletics Department does not have the money to do that right now. And so it's going to take a booster willing to write the check, and it is going to take the athletics director, Alan Green, who seems to have a pretty good head screwed on his shoulders, pretty level-headed, willing to make the change. And willing to finish that thought, hire Hugh Freeze, and the SEC office probably having to sign off on it. That's a lot of ifs. Somebody, uh, Brandon in New Albany, says, I'd think if a person wrote a check for that much to get rid of a coach, they'd want or have a big stock in the hiring of the next coach. I would agree with that. Absolutely would agree with that. And uh, uh, Alabama fans says, who cares about Auburn? RTR. Kentucky, we have a regular Kentucky listener, regular Georgia listener, apparently regular Alabama uh, Alabama listener as well. Pretty diverse around here. Some Auburn fans. And at one point we had a Purdue fan that was a regular listener as well. Oh, wow. I mentioned I did not speak glowingly of West Lafayette. That's right. That's Kelso, I think. A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 